All right. Sorry if I distracted you with running around a little bit. Mike Bassett and I were very concerned because I'd lost this. And as you know, the Holy Spirit cannot use me unless I have this. So, um, <clears throat> my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden. Um, today, the message is going to be challenging for some of you. Might be challenging because there's a lot of detail, so if you have trouble paying attention, you might struggle a little bit. There's coffee in the back, load up, but not too much that you have to leave to go to the bathroom because then you'll really get lost. Some of you might be challenging because it's going to challenge some of your preconceived notions about what you thought Scripture meant in certain passages for a long time. <clears throat> Title of the message, When Your Faith Isn't Enough. That's a mustard seed. You guys see that? You've heard the phrase... You know, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can, you know, move mountains and, you know, all that. So when your faith isn't enough, and that very title probably is a little bit offensive. Is it possible that there are times when our faith isn't enough? Is it possible that there are times that our faith, our personal faith, our ability to believe, our ability to trust fails us? Is it a scary title? Is it scary to think that your faith in Christ can be shaken, that your life and trust could begin to sink because of circumstances or temptations that maybe overwhelm you or your ability to trust? And what did Jesus really mean when he said a mustard seed of faith? What are the consequences of a failure of faith? Should we fear that failure and can we even avoid a failure of our faith? Today, we're going to look at the passage in Matthew 14, 23 to 33. I'm going to read some of it, then I'll bring up a slide for the last two verses. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, and he had told his disciples to go into a boat and go out. The boat by this time had drifted a long way from the land, and it was being beaten by waves. For the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, translation between 3 and 6 a.m., in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, but the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to walk, on you, to, walk to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. <clears throat> then Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Guys, this is the first time that all the disciples declared, you know what? This is the one. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. They had been following their rabbi. They had seen tons of amazing miracles up to this point. Just right before this, in chronology, he fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. They had witnessed a lot of these, but for some reason, this was the first time where they say, whoa, this little boat thing with us here, this has convinced us. 
Now, just to give you an idea of why that might be the case, a Jewish person in that boat might see a parallel to what God did during the Exodus by parting the sea in Psalm 77, 16 to 20. It says, When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid indeed. The deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. See the imagery of Jesus and God walking on the water? And then he says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron a reference to the parting of the Red Sea. But now let's really turn the focus to what I really want to talk about. I want to talk about extreme anxiety and fear and paint a picture of what these guys were going through. You see that? Poor girl. I like that one. That's a good one, right? <laughs> what the heck have I got myself into? You see that kid right there? With the hair sticking up, that's not moose. That's, that's gravity, centripetal force. And then that one is the best one. A few weeks ago, I was on a roller coaster with my wife at Universal Studios. I'm older now. I can't even ride the simplest of these things. When I was young, I could ride them, you know? I could just, no problem. And about seven years ago, I started realizing, I feel sick when I get off these things. <laughs> Three years ago, I realized, I feel sick when I'm on these things. <laughs> this last weekend, my wife and I got off one of the rides, and we said, you know, we didn't really need to do that, did we? <laughs> I was just hoping that it would end soon. Even if it meant throwing up on someone in front of me, I knew, I knew that I would probably be okay. But these guys this night in the boat did not know that. They had fear, and they weren't sure what was happening. As a matter of fact, this is the only story that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. If you look at a synopsis of the Gospels, this story is in all four. And Mark gives us a little bit more insight into what really happened. <clears throat> let, let me read this passage to you. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and was alone in the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. You know what the, the construction of that means in the original language? That means it was intense anxiety, making headway painfully. They were fighting against the wind, trying to get back to the shore, and the wind and the waves were kept, kept pushing them back, and they had been fighting for hours, hours trying to get back to the shore, and they couldn't. The waves were big, and the wind, and, and it says making headway painfully means that they were in great emotional distress. And about the fourth watch, he came to them, and he meant to pass by them. When they saw him on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and then they cried out. So let's kind of go through this process, okay? They're in the middle of the sea. The waves are really high. It's in the middle of the night. It's pitch dark. You understand there's no LED bulbs on the edge of the boat that you can see. They don't have GPS. They have no idea where they're going. They just know they can't get anywhere, and their boat is taking on water. They fear for their lives. And Mark does say while Jesus is on the hill, he sees all this happening. And this is kind of a great picture of an intercessor, right? He's on the hill praying with his eye on the disciples, 
while talking to the Father. And for five or six hours, these guys are battling, trying to just go four miles with no progress. And then on top of that, right, this storm and the waves and the water and all this stuff, on top of that, then they see something like a ghost on the water, and their first thought is, it's not Jesus, it's something evil. So put yourself in their perspective. This is the worst roller coaster you can imagine. Y'all ever been to the one at Disney World where you're on that little thing and you show, it shows the image of a ghost in your little cart with you? And that's kind of cute. Oh, look at that. He's funny. He's got a cool hat. These guys are on this boat and they're struggling. They're trying to get back to the shore because they know if they don't get back, their boat's going to sink. They're going to die. By the way, they've been through this once before with Jesus. Remember? Jesus was just in the back of the boat sleeping and he woke up and said, stop complaining. I got this. And he calmed the seas. This time he's not with them. They're in this boat, and they see what they think is a ghost. And Luke, I mean, uh, uh, Matthew and Mark both say they cried out. Oh, no, we've got the storm. It's a ghost. Oh. Can you imagine the fear and anxiety? Anxiety is at a very high level right now. Can you ever relate to this? And what's interesting is Jesus waits a long time before he comes to them. And this is all part of the lesson. I mean, he could have just turned around at the top of the mountain and hushed the storm or make it so like the storm had never come. But he allowed the harsh world to take them to their extremities so that they would learn that in the extremity, he was there. And he knew. And he understood See, if you never have a storm in your life, you'll never know that he, not you, that he can handle the storm. You never really understand the power of mercy and grace on your behalf until you are strung out to the extreme. You can't understand grace until your faith cracks. You follow what I'm saying? You can't really understand grace until your faith and your ability to trust cracks. James 1, 2 to 4, we did a great, great time having this opportunity to study James about a year and a half ago. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. The odds are very good that James might have very well been in that boat that night, by the way. But either way, he understood this truth. Now, here's what's interesting about this story, right? Peter sees the power of Jesus. He recognizes, oh, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus, and the storm is still brewing, and Peter goes from extreme anxiety, extreme fear in one moment, and he goes right to extreme faith and extreme trust. And he says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water, and I will. And Jesus says, come on, Peter, come to me. And Peter starts walking on the water. Let me tell you something. My thought process is, look, if it's a big storm, and Jesus says, come to walk, and I start walking, I don't think I'll ever have any problem doubting again. Right? I mean, that's pretty good. Right? I mean, a storm, the boats, you know, the waves and the ghosts. No, it's Jesus. Okay, come. And I'm I take like six steps on the water. 
I'm like thinking, man, this is easy, this faith thing. Jesus got me. I got no problems. But then he goes from extreme faith or extreme anxiety, extreme fear to extreme faith. And then he goes right back to fear and he begins to sink. And he says, dear Lord, please save me. Can you see the range of emotions? That's like a roller coaster for Peter, is it not? Have you ever been there? You have fear and you have anxiety and you have doubt. And then, no, I've got faith. I can believe it. And then you go right back to doubt. And your puny little mustard seed faith is failing you. How could he go from extreme fear to extreme faith right back to extreme fear? Isn't that a great picture of our own faith? of how we often walk with Jesus day by day. Peter's personal faith failed him twice. In this little story, it's lack of faith two, plenty of faith one. In the midst of our trials of life, even when it's pitch dark, and we're making headway painfully, just like the disciples were in that boat, Here's what's great. Jesus is there with his eye on his elect, making sure that our souls are safe and secure and never in danger, even when we think they are. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So what is this relationship between faith and Jesus' faithfulness? First thing I want you to see, God does not require great faith before he saves us. You know the scripture says faith like a mustard seed? You know, that's not about how strong, like, faith is like a nuclear weapon. You just get one little drop and bam, you can move mountains. That's not what the passage is teaching. What the passage is actually teaching is that how little faith has to do with us. How can I prove this? In Hebrews 12, too, you know what it says? Looking unto Jesus, the founder, some passages say author, the founder and perfecter, some passages or some versions say finisher, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. Our faith has very little to do with us. Our ability to trust, our ability to believe, Jesus is the author and finisher of that. So that's one thing. God does not require great faith before he saves us. The second thing, Jesus is a Savior who rescues those who struggle with doubt. Do you like that? Do you like that at all? Did that just go in one ear and out the other, or are you really listening? Jesus is a Savior who rescues those who struggle with doubt. As your pastor, I'm telling you, that's me. Every day. I mean, one day I could just be on a roll, you know? I'm trusting. I'm believing. I'm praying. I'm sharing. I've traded in my rap music on my iPod for, like, worship music, you know? I'm doing great. And then the next day, I'm fraught with fear and anxiety 
and doubt about life. That's what my faith and my walk with God is like constantly. Here's another thing about this relationship between Jesus and faith. Our personal faith is useless without the faithfulness of Jesus. Do you understand what makes your faith work? Your faith works not because of your ability to grab hold of it and believe. Your faith works because Jesus is faithful. Do you understand that? Your faith is not based upon how good you are at believing. Your faith is based upon how good Jesus is at being faithful. How much faith do you put in your faith versus the faithfulness of Jesus? I think, do you think your faith would have been better than Peter's? He saw miracles. He walked and talked with Jesus every day. He saw him on the water. He actually took steps on the water and then still doubted. Do you think you're better than him? And then, you know something that really frustrates me? I mentioned this last week, but all this talk from prosperity gospel guys on TV preachers. Look, if your faith is strong enough, you will be healed. Lies. If your faith is strong enough, you will be blessed. Lies. If your faith is strong enough, you'll have all you need for a fruitful and prosperous life. Like somehow you need to arrive at this higher level of greater elevated faithfulness, this great plane of faithfulness. And if you can just get there, everything will be fine. You'll never waver. Forget that carrot on a stick. You'll never get it. But Jesus, Jesus is there. And his job is to perfect your puny little mustard seed of faith. See, the mustard seed is not about how great our faith can be. The mustard seed is about how great Jesus' faithfulness is that he can take this small grain of this, this, this little flicker of a flame of ability to hope and turn it into salvation for all eternity. Wow! I can tell you this. My faith is a mustard seed compared to the faithfulness of Jesus. How about yours? It's so puny. So to answer our first question about when faith is enough or when faith isn't enough, without Jesus' faithfulness, it's never enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? Without the faithfulness of Jesus, your faith is irrelevant. It's Jesus that is faithful, not us. Your personal faith will never be enough, but the faithfulness of Jesus is. And so today, as you kind of leave here, here's the thought that I want to ruminate in your mind and in your heart. We believe that salvation is not by works, right? We, don't, we can't earn our way to heaven. It's by grace. Well, then how in the world can we just assume that our faith is by works? If we just believe strong enough, if we just believe hard enough, we'll unlock this treasure trove of blessings that other people that don't have strong faith can get. I know some really faithful people who have gone through hell and back before they died. Our faith has very little to do with our mustard seed and everything to do with the faithfulness 
of Jesus. That's what Peter experienced on the ocean. That's what we experience every day, even if we don't acknowledge it.